just off the coast of Maine, sitting at the mouth of the New Meadows River in Casco Bay, sits the tiny island of Malaga. Nestled a hundred yards from Bear Island and three hundred yards from the tiny fishing village of Sabasco, it's currently maintained by the Maine Coast Heritage Trust. And if you want to visit it, then you probably wouldn't see anything out of the ordinary. The island itself is quite small. It's only 41 acres, which translates to about 0.06 square miles. And when the sun sets and the park closes, nobody calls Malaga Island home. But there was a time not so long in the past when the little island in Casco Bay was home to a flourishing little multiracial community. What unfolded next illustrates the nature of cruelty in American life. This is Hidden History, and you're listening to episode 77, Malaga. Hidden History is always available on www.hiddenhistory.show. And if you like what I do, then subscribe to the show on Spotify, review it on Apple Podcasts, and follow the show on Twitter at HIDDNHistoryPod. The first to call Malaga Island home were the Eastern Androscoggin people members of the Abenaki tribe, an Algonquin-speaking First Nation that inhabited modern-day Maine and New Hampshire. By the beginning of the 1700s, they had been absorbed by other, more powerful tribes. Eventually, they too would be slaughtered and forced from their lands by encroaching colonists. But there is effectively nothing in recorded history that tells us anything about the Androscoggin on Malaga. Instead, this is a story that starts in 1794 with a man named Benjamin Darling. Rumored to be the illegitimate son of a ship captain and his slave, Benjamin Darling was a free black man living in Maine, and in 1794, he purchased the tiny horse island approximate to Malaga, and began to live out the rest of his life. Soon, the descendants and relatives of Benjamin Darling outgrew the space on Horse Island, and so they began to expand and establish new homes on the surrounding islands in Casco Bay. Out of these new generations in particular, the first people documented to live on Malaga Island were Henry Griffin and Fatima Darling Griffin, who built a small house on the east side of the island in the early 1860s. Over the next few decades, the population of Malaga continued to grow, and by the early 1900s, 45 people called the island home. Life was hard on Malaga. The ground was unsuitable for growing crops, and what work the residents were able to find never paid well. The people of the island 
primarily black or mixed race, were exceedingly poor. But let me just jump back in time for a second. In 1883, a British statistician named Francis Galton published a book called Inquiries into Human Faculty and Its Development, and in doing so, created a new word. Eugenics. And then, in 1900, another Englishman named William Bateson republished the work of Gregor Mendel, who discovered a type of genetic behavior now called Mendelian inheritance. These two works proved wildly popular in the United States and influenced the rise of the American eugenics movement, which would last up until the 1960s, when thousands upon thousands of women in Puerto Rico were forcibly sterilized. The American eugenics program actually inspired that in Nazi Germany. Now, one of the things that gained very high prominence as a result of the eugenics movement was scientific racism. That's not to say, of course, that it didn't exist before, but the popularity of American eugenics thrusted to new heights. Now, one of the tenets of scientific racism is the belief that white people are genetically superior to black people. Going way back, that supposed scientific inferiority was actually used as a justification for slavery, and allowed slave owners to act like they were actually fucking saints. But anyway, they say a rising tide lifts all boats, and that's exactly what the eugenics movement does for racism in the United States. African-American historian and pan-African activist Rayford Logan referred to this period as the nadir of American race relations, which he says begins in 1877 with the end of Reconstruction and ends in the early 1900s. And what the nadir is, is essentially the worst possible years to be a minority in the United States. Some of the things that come along in this period are sundown towns, which I actually talked about last episode, and incredibly strict anti-miscegenation laws. And what an anti-miscegenation law does is strengthen segregation through forbidding or otherwise punishing all the types of interracial relationship. Just um, one real quick tangent. Laws forbidding interracial relationships were only declared illegal in 1967 with the Supreme Court's ruling on Loving v. Virginia, which I've always thought was just a very convenient name for that case, by the way. So the combination of pre-existing laws targeting black people, strong laws forbidding any form of interracial relationship, and the absolute intellectual dominance of the eugenics movement spells trouble for Malaga Island. Mainland locals began to refer to the island as no man's land and began to advocate for the forceful removal of its legal residents based on the claim that the small community had become a, quote, eyesore 
to the respectable citizens of the surrounding towns. The press began to diligently do their work, spreading vicious rumors about the inhabitants of Malaga, that they were all mentally disabled, that they lived in underground tunnels, that they were inbred, that they ate their food raw, that they had horns. The August 24th, 1905 edition of the local paper, the Casco Bay Breeze, described the island as Malaga, the home of southern Negro blood, incongruous scenes on a spot of natural beauty in Casco Bay. Further headlines referred to it as homeless island of beautiful Casco Bay, its shiftless population of half-breed blacks and whites. As the tourism industry slowly found its way up the main coast, there was an earnest talk of burning the island to the ground and replacing it with a summer community. And so it was in 1905 that all residents of Malaga Island, at that point between 45 and 55 people, were named wards of the state. Their lives were no longer their own. National magazines like Harper's had been covering the story of Malaga, broadcasting to a nation in the midst of a tidal wave of eugenics and white supremacy that there was, somewhere far up north, an island of demonic, poor, mixed-race people who did not deserve to benefit off the toils of the white man. The people on Malaga, they never hurt anyone. They never caused any harm. They kept to themselves. They did the work that mainlanders refused to. They just wanted to be left alone. In 1911, the governor of Maine, Frederick Plainstead, visited the island. As reported in the July 21st, 1911 edition of the Brunswick Times Record, after he completed his tour, he remarked that the best plan would be to burn down the shacks and all their filth. Certainly, the conditions are not creditable to our state, and we ought not to have such things near our front door, and I do not think that a like condition can be found in Maine, although there are some pretty bad localities elsewhere. Just like that, the fate of Malaga was sealed. Later that year, the state decided that the island was actually owned by the heirs of Eli Perry, a white man from the neighboring town. The sheriff immediately decided to act, quote, in the interest of the property owner and serve every resident an eviction notice. But what of those rumors so 
dutifully carried out by the press, speaking of the mental disabilities of Malaga's residents. Well, they came to fruition. On December 9th, 1911, a doctor representing the state of Maine came to the island, and with him, he brought a telephone, something that the isolated and incredibly poor residents of Malaga probably never even seen. If a resident couldn't identify what the telephone was and couldn't tell the doctor who was president after Teddy Roosevelt, they were institutionalized. 20% of the island's residents were sent to the main school for the feeble-minded. They would stay there for the rest of their lives. The state of Maine then bought the island from the heirs of Eli Perry for the grand sum of $400 and told the remaining residents that their homes and their families must be gone from the island by July 1st, 1912, or they would be burned to the ground. No assistance was provided in the relocation. Some families strapped their small shacks to rafts and floated them down the coast, looking for a town that would take them in. None did. You see, everyone knew they were from Malaga. And so they were forced into a life of effective homelessness, so long as they live. One of these families was that of Robert and Laura Darling, direct descendants from Benjamin, the land's rightful owner. Refused entry to every town on the southern coast of Maine, they docked their ramshackle houseboat to a small, rocky scrap of another island. Unable to find enough to eat, Laura sacrificed her own health so that her children could live. She fell ill in a terrible storm, and by the time Robert returned with the doctor, he found both of his children terrified, clinging to the body of his dead wife. On July 1st, 1912, an agent representing the state of Maine arrived on the island to find no trace of the community that once was. But the annihilation of the people of Malaga was not yet complete. The state ordered every grave on the island to be dug up. And when they were, the remains of 16 people were placed into five caskets and reburied on the grounds of the main school for the feeble-minded. Nobody has ever lived there since. 
The people of Malaga hid their ancestry as Malagite became a racial slur throughout Maine. For decades, the erasure of what happened on Malaga was nearly total. It was, as the people of the surrounding town said, a story best left untold. But that's the kind of story I tell. Kind of makes you wonder, doesn't it? How many more Malagas were there? they hadn't left such a paper trail, then the story of Malaga very well might have been lost forever. Oh, and, um, William Howard Taft. That's who was president after Teddy Roosevelt. Did you know that? <laughs>